Welcome to the Hidden Archives. I am your curator and host, Nicole Clark. The Archives continues to grow and progress in both the volume of content and of reach. Currently, we have been downloaded in the US, Canada, Switzerland, Spain, Brazil, and the United Kingdom. We look forward to expanding further, and thank you for all of your support. Further episodes will be released on schedule until the between-season period. If you have any suggestions of things you would like to hear, have explained, or might enjoy during this interim, please let us know. Rod Serling once said, Every man is put on earth condemned to die. Time and method of execution? Unknown. Before we see how this may apply in tonight's feature, let us give you this warning. If you choose to enter the hidden archives, if you choose to study the tomes, If you choose to take this journey with me, you do so at your own risk. Profanity and disturbing content may follow. This is your warning. At the time of this episode's premiere, the world is in the throes of a serious threat. Sometimes fright comes not so much from fictitious events, but rather from its parallels in reality. In this episode, we meet someone who is not only faced with an illness that has destroyed everything he knows to be real, but it may have also ruined any chance at escape from total isolation. Okay, so I've never done a forum post before, and I don't know if this website is exactly the right forum. I just hope this goes somewhere. I hope someone is still reading. I don't know how far the pandemic has reached, But I have my guesses, and I do know that it's bad. Could the death toll really be a worldwide phenomenon yet? No. That's crazy, right? It's only been four months. But why is the internet so limited now? Why aren't news pages updating? Why am I having to manually enter IP addresses to contact websites? Sorry. A lot of questions off the bat. I just haven't been able to talk to anyone for a few weeks now, and I'm starting to scare myself. I need answers. Here is what I know. If you can fill in some blanks, please leave a comment or contact me at the email I have provided in the above information. I think my sat cell still works, but the battery isn't lasting long. However, if you're reading this, please find a way to reach me. I'm sorry. But because of where I am, those are the only ways to get a hold of me. Oh, and my geographic coordinates are provided with the rest of the data. Come and get me if you can. Please. I'll just start off with this. I think I have the cure. Or at least a treatment. But it's down here in Antarctica. If you look at the coordinates, it will point you to the exact region. A remote little outpost where it's just me, my cat, a generator, and about 11 months worth of rations left. A few months before this all started, I was doing research in this region. Taking ice core samples, studying the effects of climate change, and looking at what prehistoric life was like when this frozen hell was more of a paradise. I took an ice core sample with a colleague of mine from an ice cap over an ancient lake just a few hundred meters from our base position. While drilling, 
we accidentally went too deep and hit water. This is because we miscalculated the thickness of the ice. It was much thinner than we had expected. At this point, the core was more or less unusable because the water happened to be under immense pressure from the weight of the ice and, as I later found out, from the gas pressure created by the life that existed in the lake. It ruined the integrity of the sample, for the most part, and flooded the lake basin. We thought we were lucky to survive with our camp and gear intact, but this is actually where the problem started. The water that flooded the basin had a deep red color to it, not unlike the Blood Falls that have become a popular sight down here recently. We thought it was due to heavy iron saturation in the water, which is also the explanation for the Blood Falls, so we basically ignored this at first. We were more concerned with figuring out a way to continue our research. So we backed down from this site to figure out a new plan and drilling location. If we'd only done some simple science, we would have figured out that it was actually bacteria making the water red. The same bacteria that I fear caused all of this. But it wasn't our fault. We had no way of knowing. And it was because of climate change that everyone contributes to that the ice was so thin. It was a disaster waiting to happen. We all caused this, not just me and my team. Plus, the cure is here, so come get it. I was going to delete that last part. I was angry and got emotional. But I think I'll leave it. I hope it makes this sound more legitimate. A week went by with us trying to come up with a better plan of action. But then I got sick. It was a minor annoyance. I thought that it was a result of the work and the cold and dryness. But there was this smell coming from the lake. A smell like lavender and pine. Not a stink that you might associate with bacteria. Just lavender and pine. From this smell and the fact that the new red leak refused to freeze at negative 40, we were able to draw some conclusions about our accidental discovery and of my sickness. You see, we believed there was something in the lake that had made me sick. So we set to work collecting water samples and testing them. But before we could prove our conclusions, my colleague, George got sick as well. I still wasn't feeling too great myself, but I was on the mend. George, though, he started going downhill pretty quick. We both had the same initial symptoms. Weakness, hostility, auditory and visual hallucinations. You get the picture. You know the symptoms. But I got over it. And I won't tell you how until I have a way home to my husband. As I said, George was degrading quickly, but the exact solution hadn't occurred to me yet. The need for a solution had not occurred to me yet. I thought some rest and antibiotics would do the trick. So we called for an emergency evac after he'd been sick for about nine days. They came collected George, and eventually brought him stateside back to Boston. I stayed to continue our research, 
I wish that I would have kept George with me. It would have potentially avoided this whole disaster. The time between George and I getting sick, and when I figured out that the cure was down here, was a complete communications blackout for me. I was too caught up in my work to do anything other than send the regular research and log updates back to base camp. I hadn't even noticed that, after about the fourth or fifth day that George was gone, I wasn't getting replies or confirmation of these transmissions. I was feeling completely better, finally, so I decided to contact base camp when I noticed the lack of replies to my progress reports. The total time between this point and my initial infection had been about three weeks. After repeated calls over shortwave, satellite communications, radio, and even email went unanswered, I decided to link the sat phone, which up to this point was carefully regulated and supposed to be used for emergency communications only, to my computer to boost my connection off the local grid. I wanted to know how George was, and if he knew anything about the blackout of communications between our station and base camp. By initiating a video chat over a private connection, I was able to put a call through. However, it was not George, but his brother that took the call. God, he looked like hell and sounded even worse. I learned about the later symptoms of this disease, if left untreated, just by observing him. His eyes were bloodshot to the point that I could barely distinguish his irises from the whites of his eyes. There was dried blood trailing from his nose, ears, eyes, and even fingernails. I couldn't believe, at first, that this was the same disease. George's brother told me that George had died about a week after coming back to the States. He was sick now, too, and was put into quarantine at George's apartment with a few others that had contact with him. They were basically isolated from the rest of the world, and information was hard for them to get. All he knew was that the CDC had suspected that George had come back with some sort of unidentified sickness that was highly contagious, but didn't know what it was or how to treat it. I told him that we had accidentally uncovered something that might be the cause. However, before I could tell him that I knew it was bacterial and how it might be treated, he lost his temper and ended the call. Just... Not before he blamed everything on me. He said, This is all your fault. Everything is fucked because of you. And slammed the lid of George's computer closed. If only I had known what he meant by everything. Another week or two went by before I tried contacting a few other colleagues around the world when I got desperate for information. But only one got back to me. She said that there was a pandemic spreading. It had gone global in only about a month and a half since George returned to Boston. However, only a few had died. Just a handful of people were dead. That's it. But so many more were falling ill. No one knew what was going on or where exactly it had come from. I relayed to her all the information that I knew. It was bacteria 
It came from our outpost in Antarctica, and it would seem to be airborne as George and I had never touched each other without heavy personal protective equipment or warm clothes and thick gloves. Apparently, between the time that I talked to George's brother and this colleague of mine, they had found this much out. She begged me for information, thinking I knew something no one else did, but that honestly was all I knew up to that point. She promised to keep me updated, but requested that I not contact her again unless I had some helpful information. Fearing that I might get in trouble for abuse of my equipment, I decided not to contact the outside world for another two weeks. At this point, I decided to focus my study on the bacteria, which seemed to have no effect on me anymore. I needed answers as much as anyone else. I certainly don't know medicine, but I do know a lot about microbes and ancient life, so I knew I could figure out at least some information. I just wanted to provide some answers to my colleagues, and to the rest of the world at that. A world that seemed, at least from the minimal contact that I had with only two individuals, to be in the midst of a serious biological crisis. To understand my timeline, why it took about two months from my initial infection to this point, why I waited so long between efforts to contact the rest of the world, you need to understand my circumstances. Down here, in this cold and this perpetual darkness, a sense of imposed isolation really takes over. Everything is done either in the interest of research or not at all. I'll just remind you that I was part of a team that consisted of only two people and that we were 20 miles away from the next nearest research camp. Resources are scarce and precious. Keeping a satellite phone charged and maintaining an internet connection to the outside world for even a few minutes can cost you a day's worth of fuel for the generator. That, and we are told time and time again that our superiors will keep us apprised of important information when there are no communication blackout periods, which there often are in places like this. So, Every time I reach out, every time I break protocol, it's because I fear the worst, which 99% of the time turns out to be nothing. But this time, well, you know, it was that 1%. I had not received any information from my other colleagues since I last talked to her, so I decided to reach out again. I had some ideas about the bacteria which I thought she might find helpful, but I could not get a connection. I even found numbers for her home and cell phone, but each time I dialed a number, it would not connect. It wouldn't even try. I thought the trouble might be on my end, so I gave up. I gave it about a month. A month of sitting in the cold and loneliness of Antarctica. A month where the only company I had was my cat, and almost perpetual darkness was just par for the course. Do you know what that does to someone? What worrying about your friends, colleagues, loved ones, and the rest of the world does to you when you have no way to communicate with anyone or anything? It can drive you mad, absolutely insane. If you thought this illness was something, 
Try living my life. I've done both. The disease and the solitude and frigid darkness. Instead of trying to get a hold of a fellow researcher, I decided to make a severe breach of protocol, and I logged on to a personal social media account. I did this because I wanted information from people I could trust, people that I knew. Somehow, I actually got a connection and signed in. It was all over my newsfeed. Worldwide pandemic. Millions dead. No clue to treatments, let alone a cure. Friends, relatives, and colleagues all posting about the loss of loved ones to this illness. And worst of all, my own husband hadn't posted anything since about a week and a half after George became patient one in Boston. His most recent post read, Just got back from visiting my hubby's co-worker, George, at Boston General. He is in a bad way and thinks that my sweetie might be headed down the same road. Please send some positive energy my way and down to the South Pole. Now, it's time to take some aspirin for this headache. After this, I abandoned social media. I couldn't take it anymore. I decided instead to see what actual news outlets were saying. I could only get BBC to load. Nothing else would even try to come up. Probably from all the traffic that was being directed to those sites. But I don't know a lot about how the internet works when something like this happens. It was the same story as social media, however. People dying quarantines, hopelessness, and worst of all, no news stories or updates since three days prior to me reading all of it. The media had actually seemingly shut down, and so did I. For the next week or two, I just lost track of time. I sat inside at my research station. I ate a bare minimum, slept for hours and hours, and other times, I couldn't even close my eyes without seeing some of the horrendous headlines I had read on the internet. My cat, a Maine Coon that I had sneaked into the research outpost, was there with me the whole time. She would just purr away beside me as I lay awake and tormented, hoping that this was all just me going crazy, hoping that my husband could still be alright. Then it struck me. The cat never got sick. She was immune to the bacteria somehow. But before I could figure anything out, I had to do some research. I needed to know if anyone else had noticed or experienced this. So I went back to the internet. My first stop was Reddit. There would be real people there, maybe even doctors studying the sickness, who would be hosting an Ask Me Anything thread. I was right. I mean, everything on Reddit was weeks old at this point, but it was still saturated with stuff about what the world was calling the Red Plague. It turns out this name was given because of the bleeding that the bacteria causes and not because they had identified the lake. But there were more answers. I did find an AMA thread from a doctor in Sri Lanka. 
Most of the questions concentrated on what the initial symptoms were, if there were any preventions for the disease, and what the life expectancy of someone was when they fell ill. This last one had some interesting information that I hadn't heard yet. Apparently, someone has two weeks, approximately, after they are initially exposed. The doctor said that he himself was sick at the time of posting, but was in his fourth week and figured he could probably make it another two. He attributed this to some experimental antibiotics that he had stolen. This wasn't what I was looking for, though. And I only had a little battery left on the computer and the sat phone that I was using as a mobile hotspot. So I narrowed my search and the thread to look for the word cat or feline. One poster pointed out that some animals seem resistant to the disease, though many were still dying in droves from all different species. But cats seemed especially immune. Unfortunately, this poster was late to the game and only posted this query a week and a half after the original poster. There were no replies to this comment. But for me, it was a valuable lead. Again, not being a physician, I was unable to figure out why my cat is immune to the Red Plague, but I did make some interesting connections between her physiology and my own, and between these things and my exposure, mild illness, and eventual recovery. It has taken me a few days since I made these discoveries to work up the courage to get back on the internet. It has been about four months since my initial exposure. Now, Nearly nothing is loading, except for this site and a few others that I know of. Search engines only turn out minimal results. So I guess the internet is shutting down. Probably a sign that my next assumption is right. You see, I believe that the world has ended. I think that I am probably the only one left. Perhaps maybe one of a few. Hopefully, if there is anyone left, you find this. My hope is that, with this being the only real new thing on the internet, that it will show up in trending categories if I keep changing my IP address and searching it. Like I said, I believe I have the cure down here in Antarctica. I know my fellow research stations and outposts are dead because they are silent and George was sent through several before he made it back to the States. The Red Plague must have spread through like wildfire. So if you are healthy and you are on your way, just come straight here. Don't delay. Yes, the source of the contagion is here too, but that is where I think the cure lies. What have you got to lose? Think of it like anti-venom. But you will have to come here to get it. I cannot get out, and I definitely can't do that on my own. Plus, where would I go? I promise this is your only hope. If I am not the only one left at the moment, I know I will be soon. I have enough rations especially if I stretch them to outlive anyone who becomes infected by over half a year. And that's if you don't even get infected for the next several months. How long will you last in your makeshift quarantine? 
a few weeks, maybe. However, if you leave tomorrow and get infected on the same day, you will still have plenty of time to make it here so I can treat you. Just let me try, or at the very least, don't let me die alone. Okay. I think that's all. It's all I know, and all I'm willing to share at least. Please do feel free to leave a comment or contact me by one of the other means I have listed. If you are going to come down here, let me know to expect you. With all that being said and out of the way, I suppose I'll wrap this up in the official manner for this particular sub. I know you have questions if you are actually out there, so here it is. I am a researcher studying microbiological life in Antarctica. I am also patient zero for the Red Plague. Ask me anything. As for me, I have been doubling down on my vitamin C intake. At least I don't have too much to worry about. I created a will after last week's episode. It's all about planning ahead. Thanks again to all of our wonderful listeners around the globe. You are what makes this special. There are many more stories from the hidden archives that have yet to be shared. We hope that you join us next time for another glimpse into the archives. This has been a production of the Rhodes Collaborative Experience, LLC. Please no reproduction, duplication, or bastardization of any content without written consent from RCX or its partners. Ex Animo, Ex Tempus, In Archivum. <laughs>